International travel strives for carbon neutral at Augustana. From South Dakota Public Broadcasting, today is Tuesday, February 13th. This is In the Moment. Coming up this hour, we look at ways a South Dakota college is hoping to make travel more sustainable. We'll preview the upcoming On Call with the Prairie Doc episode as we sniff around for solutions to your nasal problems. Teacher Talk explores how classroom design promotes learning and well-being. Then, in honor of Valentine's Day, we open our hearts to new books. SDPB's Jackie Hendry offers a love poem to the landscape of South Dakota, and South Dakota's Poet Laureate Bruce Roseland celebrates the state we call home. We're broadcasting live today from SDPB's Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. I'm Lori Walsh. You're in the moment. News is first. Healthcare reporting on SDPB is supported by Monument Health. You're listening to In the Moment on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, for the students traveling abroad during Augustana University's J-term courses, the trips just got a whole lot greener. All of the courses, which take place over the month of January, are now carbon neutral. Aaron Kane is co-director of international programs at Augie, and Dr. Craig Spencer is an ecology professor emeritus at Augustana. He has led multiple J-term courses in Guatemala, where there is a tropical forest reserve that turns out to be very important to this conversation. And they are both with us now in the Kirby Family Studio in Sioux Falls. Aaron, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Craig Spencer, welcome as well. It's a pleasure, Lori. Let's start with one of the challenges. And Craig, you've been traveling abroad for a long time. You know the importance for the students, for the relationships, but yet there has always been this sort of nagging idea of of access, of course, and the cost, but also the impact on the environment. Help us understand why that you were asking this question, while, why Augie was asking the question about sustainable travel regarding J-Term. So one of the issues with traveling abroad is typically you fly, which has a large carbon impact on the environment. And so while we value the educational experiences that our students get from these amazing courses around the world, we recognize that we're having an impact on the environment through air travel. And so as an educational institution, we felt it was important to address this, you know, acknowledge that we are having this impact and then try and mitigate it somehow. And so that's kind of why we came up with this idea involving Guatemala. Yeah. Aaron, tell me a little bit about some of the background and the people who were involved in figuring out, because one one solution, in quotation marks, would be to, to travel less. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not quite what you wanted to do because of the advantage of this. How did you look for other solutions, or what did you find? Yeah, so Augie is known for their January travel courses with faculty. It's so many reasons why students come there. And so to think about how we could find a solution to this, um, we leaned on Craig's expertise in Guatemala, his relationship with a partner there, and also a student on the ground with our environmental studies major to help us really dig in and look at how we could find a solution or a way to at least mitigate our travel impact. 
So what is the plan now? How do you get to turn? There's lots of pathways, mm-hmm. but what's the pathway that you took? Right. So the first time that this was run was during January 2023, and it was with an anonymous gift given in order to look into how we could do this and what the actual costs would be. And now that we've done some of that groundwork or that research, we were able to continue with 2024 with the same plan and the same um, the protection of the agreement with BioEatsa. And so we can also say 2024 will be covered and, and will be carbon neutral. Craig, help us understand who BioEatsa is. So BioEatsa is an organization uh, uh, founded and run by native indigenous Maya people. So the Maya civilization peaked 600 to 800 AD. And many people think the Maya people disappeared when the civilization collapsed, but they are alive and well in Guatemala. And we've partnered with this organization called BioEatsa. The Itza are one of 23 Maya tribes that are still alive and doing well in Guatemala. And they're people of the forest. And part of their mission is to protect, preserve, and educate people about the value of the tropical forests there in Guatemala. And this is what you have been helping students understand for oh, over the over a decade. <laughs> right. Tell me a little bit about, um, versus just us talking about it, the experience that you get from being on the ground, from meeting people, from walking through the forest. Take us to the forest. Wow, I wish I could take you personally there. Um, it's, well, one of the reasons I chose to take students to Guatemala, they have the largest remaining tropical forest in Central America. Mm. It's over 5 million acres. And the biodiversity is just the greatest anywhere in the world. So we're hiking through the forest with howler monkeys and spider monkeys and huge mahogany trees and flocks of parrots noisily flying by. And it's just, you know, something that students read about, the the biodiversity, but to actually see it, experience it, feel it, camp out in it, it's just, that, that's my classroom right there. And that's, that's the classroom I like to take students to, to experience <laughs> that firsthand. It must be a thrill to see them just the light bulb go on or some kind of experience that you realize while they're having it because of your advantage of, you know, having experienced it over time. You know, this kid that just had this moment, they're going to be telling this story when they're 30 or this is going to impact their work as a teacher or as a journalist or as uh, a nurse some sometime in the future. It's not just for science majors, I guess, is what, I, what I'm getting at. Right. And what's interesting, Lori, is what they really come back talking about are the relationships, the people that they met. So they're hiking through the forest and living with host families. These are descendants of the Maya civilization. And so that's what they talk about, the people that they met and and learning about their relationship with the forest. And what they're doing is remarkable to, to try and protect that forest because they're up against a lot of outside pressures. Mm. Aaron, you talked a little bit about what people expect from Augustana, one of the reasons that students come here. Tell me a little bit about this program, not only the J-Term Travel, mm-hmm. but the sustainability program and the carbon offset as um, a recruitment tool or as an expectation 
from the Augustana community, really. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's been really great about this is working together both with Craig and the students, but also presenting this to ASA. Our 2024 agreement has Stephanie Hersa Sandlin's signature on it. And so there's just so much support for what this means, both for Augustana, but also just the impact that we're trying to make with our citizens across the world. This is why we do study away is so they can go into the world, they can see these things, they can have these relationships. It's not a grand tour of sorts. It's like really digging in and immersing yourself into a local community. And so they can come back and feel proud about having those relationships, but also how they, they move forward and what that meant to Augie to be carbon neutral. Help us understand how you make some of the selections for what makes a good J-term experience. Yeah, for sure. So I just presented with some faculty today as we were talking to new faculty about these experiences and how you can put together, you know, that idea, that conceptualized idea of like, I want students to experience this. This is a topic I know and care about, and this is the, the venue or the location I want to have it in. And it all starts with connections, with relationships, um, with their own expertise, and thinking about how they can get the student on the ground in Kenya, you know, to be able to live with a host family or teach at a local school, or in Norway, where they're at a local clinic and meeting our students that are, are coming here now as Norwegian nurses on Augie's campus. It's always about those connecting points, um, not just having their own individual experience on the ground, but how we kind of work together as a greater community to become closer and more global citizens. What do you hope comes, Erin, from the conversation about carbon neutral? Because mm-hmm. you'll be traveling your whole life. Right. Hopefully. I mean, if you're fortunate enough to be able to travel, you'll have travel opportunities mm-hmm. in the future. How do you want these students who have this experience now to think about travel differently. Right. I think what they experience on the ground and how they can make mindful choices in all areas of their life, obviously sustainable ones, ones that impact the environment, but also their cultural implications for now I know this person from this place and I understand this better and I can make a different decision both for myself and for kind of the community I I work with and live in. And there's ways to implement this on a grand scale, which I I think we've done, um, but just also small, different parts that you can do yourself, whether it mean you get to a country and you stay at a different location because of of the type of place it is. Right. Um, Craig, how have you seen the forest change year after year as you have relationships with with the same people and you go back to some of the same locations as a professor as a scientist, you've watched the shift in real time. Right, and that's kind of what motivated the initial idea for this carbon offset project is going back to the same forest reserve in Guatemala that's supposedly protected, mm-hmm. but it's not. There's illegal logging activity. There's ca- illegal cattle ranching. It's being f- funded in part by drug cartels that are laundering money um, their payoffs going to government officials. And so um, Bioitza is up against, as I said earlier, a lot of a lot of challenges. And in some ways, they're my heroes. they're They're putting their lives on the line to 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 protect the forest that that is part of their culture. And so, 
the money that we're sending down is going to help them um, hire more rangers to protect the forest. It's going to help them plant more trees. They planted thousands of trees last year. And what's really exciting is they just this past January, they were awarded a forest concession for a huge part of the Maya Biosphere Reserve down there, over 60,000 acres that they now will be managing. And they were selected specifically because the the government wanted lo wanted this concession to be run by local indigenous Maya that have had a track record for for doing good work in in protecting that forest. And so this money um, is going to help in a small way to to help them fight the, the good fight. Hmm. All right. Um, so much about forests to talk about in the future, but for now we'll say thank you to Dr. Craig Spencer and Aaron Kane uh, representing Augustana University and those international programs. Aaron, thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Craig, we'll see you next time. Thanks, thank Lori. <laughs> Today for our On Call with the Prairie Dot conversation, we're going to stick our noses into a topic that isn't for the squeamish and sometimes Dr. Deborah Johnson can find herself in that category as well. Dr. Johnston joins us by phone now to talk about a potential treatment to alleviate your sinus problems and maybe curl your toes a little bit. <laughs> Deb, welcome back to In the Moment. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you. It, it always curls mine, I, I just have to admit. And, you know, I hope that we have an opportunity to talk about many more things besides just that nasal saline irrigation. Um, <laughs> we will have wonderful ear, nose, and throat uh, specialists there standing by to to see what people want to talk about. So um, don't think that you only have to call in if you have sinus issues. Those ENTers, um, you know, they help people with ear, nose, throat, sleep apnea. I mean, they've just yeah. got lots of skills in their in their toolbox. But that is definitely the one that uh, that is the biggest part of my regular practice and also the thing that always makes me cringe just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> so the Prairie Doc perspectives, when, and you can often find, if you're new to this conversation, you can find Prairie Doc perspectives where each one of these doctors takes a term, turn every week writing a column. It's in a lot of your local newspapers if you open up your, uh, your your rural weekly paper. You'll often find it there. You can also find it online and on Prairie Doc Radio, and there's all kinds of ways to connect with this um, with these conversations. But, um, Deb, I'm just wondering, and so this particular one is about sinus irrigation and those neti pots and the different things that you can, yeah. that you can buy for that. Um, fascinating. Uh, big takeaway, keep them clean. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. That you know, there's an awful lot of things in our environment that um, that our airways don't like, our noses don't like, our sinuses don't like. From you know, natural things like the pollens and the dust, and things that are less natural, like the the smoke and the pollution. And mm. um, you know, it can be really helpful to just rinse those things out. Yeah. All right. But let's talk about the ENT uh, specialist. How much yeah. all of this is connected in ways that probably most of us don't understand. How likely is it that if you have a problem in your sinuses that it can also cause a symptom in your throat or, you know, some swelling in your ears or um, how connected are these systems? 
They're very, very connected. You know, the type of lining in your nose and your sinuses, it's the same type of lining in the tubes that, that go to your ears, those eustachian tubes that you have to kind of yawn to pop when you're going up in the airplane, and sometimes that works better than others. And so anything that makes your nose stuffy can stuff up those ear tubes. And uh, so there's a big connection with a lot of that. That's kind of chronic post-nasal drainage that a lot of people have or that they get when they've got a cold. Um, that's often drainage from the same areas with the sinuses and the, the lining of the nose that, that makes that extra mucus. And, um, you know, that can go down the throat and that can irritate the lungs and just cause all kinds of problems that uh, you feel the symptoms someplace that's not where the symptoms start, if that makes sense. Yeah. They start in, in those sinuses and, uh, you know, maybe you wake up wheezing and, um, you know, the problems yeah, it's in your lungs, but it's triggered by those sinuses. I feel like this is one of those areas, too, where we have little disruptions often enough. to It, it can be hard to distinguish when you go to the doctor and when you just wait something out. So let's leave us with a, a general idea of when do you know a problem in the, you know, the, the sinus pass, you know, your sinuses or your ears has reached the point where, you really ought to make a phone call and and, a, and an appointment, and and get in. That is a that is a really good question, and that's something that a lot of people really struggle with. And um, you know, I think for one thing, ear infections are very common, and um, most of the time they will resolve on their own, uh, whether you're three or 30. So you can give that a little time with uh, some, they can be extremely painful. So uh, Tylenol to, to treat that pain. But if that's not significantly better in 24 hours, um, if your child is still really uncomfortable and complaining in 24 hours, you need to bring them in. Now, if they've had a history of recurrent problems, if they have underlying health problems that make them more vulnerable, uh, if they're young, if they're certainly under six months, but even under a year or two, um, we need to see them a little bit sooner. Um, if you are talking about sinus issues, that's another really common problem. And we'll very, very frequently see people come in who've had a lot of sinus pain and congestion, and it's been going on for two or three days. And virtually always that's a viral process and an antibiotic is just going to give you diarrhea and a yeast infection if you're female and, and breed resistant bugs and, and cause problems. And maybe it'll entertain you a little bit and give you something to do while your immune system <laughs> is fighting it off, but it, it's not going to actually do you any good. So really for those, those sinus infection type symptoms, you want to use that neti pot. You want to try those over-the-counter remedies and you want to wait it out for at least 10 days. And once it's gone on past 10 days, if it's not improving, then the odds that there's something bacterial that is causing problems 
often what happens is it starts out viral and that clogs things up and it doesn't drain and then those bacteria take advantage of that situation and come in on top of it. So most of the time it didn't start out that way. You're not going to get a jump on it by coming in and getting antibiotics early. You're just going to have side effects and then have a tougher to treat infection. So for most people, you want to wait at least 10 days before you come in and, and cry uncle and, and look for an <laughs> antibiotic. All right. On Call with the Prairie Talk premieres Dr. Johnston's episode of Fundamental Functions ENT. That's Thursday, February 15th. You can catch it on SDPB TV or live on the On Call Facebook page. That's at 7 p.m. Central, 6 Mountain. Deb, always nice to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Really good to talk to you, too. Happy Valentine's Day. You, too. You're listening to In the Moment. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, it is not the top reason to become a teacher, but it is something new teachers get excited about, designing a classroom of your own. For this week's Teacher Talk, Jackie Wilbur and Gina Benz discuss classroom design. That design, by the way, is about so much more than casual ambiance. Gina Benz teaches at Roosevelt High School in Sioux Falls. She teaches Teacher Pathway and is a recipient of the Milken Educator Award. Jackie Wilbur is director of the Center for Student and Professional Services in the School of Education at the University of South Dakota. And as always, you can find the companion blog for this conversation on our website, sdpb.org slash teachertalk. Gina, did you feel that excitement the first time you got a classroom? Absolutely. And then I was juggling with how much money do I spend on my classroom (laughs) versus how much money is in my bank account. And uh, I was so excited to get posters and all of that. And I still every year reimagine how my classroom will look for the upcoming year. And it doesn't change much, but there's always a little something. This is your working environment and mm-hmm. the students' learning environment. And, mm-hmm. and Jackie, it's, it's about more than a bulletin board. Let's start with this idea of a space that teaches people how to use the space when they enter the room. Yes. I think that when I worked as a librarian, I understand this, understood this concept in a new way. Um, libraries are really good at teaching you how to use them as a space. I think first and foremost, when you walk into a library, there is tables by big windows, there's rows and rows of books, there's cozy corners. And so there's an understanding that in that space, people are going to be reading and studying. And so people act accordingly. And classrooms function in the same way. When you walk into a chemistry lab, there'll be beakers and, you know, different things set up for various experiments, and then people will act accordingly. So I found as when I looked worked as a librarian that there was this new way of me seeing how the design of the space teaches people about how the space is going to be used and the knowledge will kind of emerge from the way the space is designed and set up. Yeah. So a kindergarten classroom might be designed in different stations, places where there's collaborative play around a little kitchen set, a quiet reading place for the introverts, a, you know, a drinking fountain with all the kind of wayfinding signs. Gina, how is a high school classroom designed that somehow helps students understand expected behavior or designed for desired behavior? There's a lot of different options, and it depends on what you teach and who you teach. But I'll talk, I'll talk about my classroom mm-hmm. and 
uh, it's the same setup as my BFA, my best friend at work, <laughs> one of them, uh, as her classroom. We both like to use a horseshoe shape with our okay. desks or a U shape. And that is symbolic of everyone has a seat at the table. So it mimics a table where we can have discussion and look each other in the eye. And it just gives the impression when you walk in the door that this is a place where we can talk face to face. I also really value keeping my lights low and bringing in natural light. I have plants in my room. I like to put pictures on the wall of my former students. So I have these big poster frames full of just a collage of pictures. And all in all, I like it to represent a comfortable home type of atmosphere with pictures on the wall and the, everyone has a seat at the table and natural yeah. light. Creating that, let's talk a little more about the creating that sense of safety, Jackie, because you've done some research into, um, you know, mental health in the tra- classroom and trauma-informed teaching, everything from how the desks are set up to the lighting, the noise, the distraction, um, too silent, too loud. Um, that's all been thought through by a lot of people. What are some of the mm-hmm. things that you learned that you find um, worth elevating here, Jackie, about sort of designing a classroom that has those things in mind? Mm-hmm. I think it's important to keep in mind, and I feel like I say this each week when we talk, that there's never going to be a universal one-size-fits-all right. for every single student, right? Like every student is going to have a variety of needs. And so even with the very best of intentions and best practices in mind, there's going to be times where it doesn't work for certain students in your classroom, and you'll need to be able to figure out ways to adjust to make space and room for those students. Um, But one book that I've been looking at is called Schools That Heal, Design with Mental Health in Mind. It's Mm -hmm. by Claire Latinay. And she really emphasizes a few key things that teachers could do right now that are low cost um, to help improve the classroom environment. Um, So natural light, just like Gina was talking about, is a big one. So often um, people are tempted to keep the blinds down as a way of minimizing distraction, but actually the ability to kind of gaze out the window and see the world beyond Mm -hmm. really helps to have students kind of have kind of that feeling of of being free and thinking in more of a contemplative way and gazing out the window is actually very good for the mind. Um, So natural light is one of them. Um, Incorporating nature is very soothing for everyone and helps with mental well-being and just a a sense of wellness overall. So plants, rocks, um, any kind of nature that you can bring into your classroom. I always like the cozy common area, but places where you can kind of gather and hang out, whether it's like a couple of small cushions. Um, When I was in the K through 12 setting, I had kind of an oversized chair that a couple of students could sit in. Um, So yeah, just kind of a cozy area where kids can kind of hang out. I never had a classroom pet, but she did talk about how classroom (laughs) pets um, have a tendency to create kind of a, a shared sense of responsibility and like a shared nurturing Um, component in the classroom or something that we're all taking care of together. And then quiet zones, areas where students either can send themselves to quiet down or might be asked to go to to just take a moment to breathe, but areas in the room where things are quiet. There is more to this conversation, including ways this week's Teacher Talk offers insight for designing your office at work. Find it online, sdpb.org slash teacher talk. Well, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and we wanted to step outside the usual talk of love and Valentine's Day commerce by celebrating a few things we love year-round. Let's start 
with South Dakota. Jackie Hendry is host of South Dakota Focus. She has loved the landscape of this state since she was a child, visiting alongside her parents, maybe even before that in her young imagination. So she wrote this poem about how this love remains unmatched in her heart. My first and truest and longest love is South Dakota. And I declare this with defiance to every other lover who has even attempted to stake a claim. You are in competition. The land is itself and its own, and I belong to it. The sky is a love letter, day and night. God invented blue here. What have you done? My roots here aren't half a generation deep, but we all know the zealousness of converts. The stubbornness of first love that, in only the most bullheaded hearts, grows and molds into a life, or something like that. And I see flaws in the way of a hopeless devotee, critique in belief that you and I and we can do more and better to deserve each day's love letters. Glaring red, amber grain, silhouetted hills that say, welcome back, that say, I love you too. That's SDPB's Jackie Hendry sharing her love of South Dakota. Welcome back to In the Moment on SDPB. I'm Lori Walsh. Well, ahead of tomorrow's holiday, we're going to talk more about a few of the things that we love. And for that conversation, we have the In the Moment producers out of the booth and into the Kirby studio to talk about books and our local libraries because the Siouxland Libraries, which is our local library here set us up on a few blind dates with a book and they have their books they're in the studio with me Ellen Kester and Ari Youngeman we're gonna start with you Ellen help me understand or help listeners who are confused and thinking that we're actually going on blind dates that we are not we are going on blind <laughs> we're not available for blind dates right now we are available for blind dates with books this is a library program that yes. comes every year so Siouxland Libraries basically just has a form online where you fill out, you know, the top, the last three books you read that you enjoyed, the genres you like to read, and they'll match you up with a book. And they, I think, always knock it out of the park. They have not selected one that I've already read, which is often a pitfall of reading too much. <laughs> this, <laughs> uh, this year they chose Afterlives for Me by Abdul Razak Gurna. It's a Nobel Prize winner in literature. And it is about colonialism in Tanzania. So what did you tell them that you liked from books? Because you have lots of options. You mm -hmm. can, I'm trying to figure out how gifted the librarians are. Extremely, because and I put all nonfiction books as the last three books <laughs> I like that I read. And they chose a fiction book because I did put down and like, what else do we need to know? I'm like, I'll read fiction. I just want it to be something interesting. And they're like, how about colonialism? And yeah, <laughs> I thought that yeah. was a bold move for right? someone to gave them through. But you are—you you started it yet? I, I have book? not started. Have you heard it yet. of it? No. Okay. So really mm. good pick. But I—I I do. Well, let I me tell you, librarians. Is it Jade? Jade wrote the note. Jade wrote the note for me. The librarians will often it. write a lovely note in a, on a bookmark and tuck it into your book. Uh, Jade, there are so many times that I offer a book to Ellen, and it is not a hit. And for this to be a hit, because you've already read it, usually it's like, oh, I've read that to find something that you haven't read and haven't heard of. Is she on your Goodreads? Ooh, maybe she cheated. <laughs> maybe I'm singing her praises for being a no, mind reader. No, and doing, she... doing research is not <laughs> cheating. That is the superpower of, of librarians all around. So um, Ari Youngeman, 
You use the library a lot. Is this uh, an important part of your life? Yeah. I use the library every single day. Oftentimes, I am using the Libby app. Um, I use it every night um, before the I go what? to bed. The Libby app. I don't know what that is. Ooh, audiobooks um, from the Siouxland Library. Um, you can listen to them on your phone, on your computer, oh. on your iPad. I use it every single day. The library is a big part of my life. And my book is Murder at Sunrise Lake, which I had not heard of before. What did you tell our fair librarian friends that you were interested in? I told them I was interested in mystery, a little bit of romance. I didn't want anything super heavy. Because <laughs> you get enough of that work. <laughs> <laughs> and so I believe that this is a paranormal romance, which I have I've never dabbled in that genre before, so I'm excited to try it out. I'm about 17 pages in so far, and my note was really nice because it said thriller with likable characters and a strong female lead, which I can always get behind that. So. You are thrilling and a strong female lead. There so what does your note say, Alan? Did we ask you what your note says? Yeah, she said it is a sweeping multi-generational saga that is set in East Africa. During the early 1900s, this, is one, this one is compelling and discusses identity and the effects of colonialization. Hope you enjoy, and I know I will enjoy. So thank you, Jade. Nice. <laughs> All right, so Ari, a little secret. You're not loving the first 17 pages. And that we give you permission to admit that you're not sure this is a good book for you. I'm not sure that this blind date is working out for me. Um, <laughs> I, I'll give it um, a little more time, a little bit more of a chance. I'm just not quite sure about the maybe the paranormal aspect of it. I'm not sure if that's what it is. Or it might be the writing style that I'm just not vibing with. It's close to what... I would usually choose, but it's not quite there. But that's okay because that's what a blind date's all about. Right. All right. So in a real blind date, you're married and you have a, an adorable child, so you're not looking for real blind dates. But in, in your dating days, yes. how long would you have given a date that you weren't quite vibing with your attention? I mean, I, th I think I, I would give it the a full date, um, but I, 17 I pages. probably 17 pages, 17 pages and I would probably decide that um, this is more of a friend. Okay. <laughs> now the rule for books that I was told by a wonderful person, she was an older woman, she was in her 80s or her 90s, when she told me this, you take the number 100, subtract your age, and that's how many pages you have to read before you get to quit. If you're 90, you get you only have to read 10 pages. So take the 100 pages, subtract your age, and that's how many pages you have to go before you decide to walk away from the book. That was her rule of reading. Also, it benefited her at the age of 90 where she didn't have to <laughs> waste her time. I have a few more pages that I need to read that. <laughs> now, for clarification, Ari is not 83. <laughs> no, Ari has many pages left to read. The, the book selected for me is called The Power of Language, How the Codes We Use to Think, Speak, and live, transform our minds. I am loving this. This is the, it's a new book and it is such an exciting look at linguistics and language and how the brain works. So I feel like this book was not only chosen for me, Jade, thank you. I feel like it was written for me. <laughs> so thank you. We might have to get this author on the show. And uh, Jade says she chose the power of language because it is an engaging account of how language, culture, and learning intersect. It's thought provoking and well-researched. Hope you enjoy. You just 
heard Jackie Hendry ask you to SDPB our Valentine by pledging to support SDPB. And before the last break, you heard her read her poem, South Dakota is my true love. Now we're going to close the show with more poetry about loving the state by hearing from our state's poet laureate. Bruce Roseland stopped by the SDPB studios late last year to read a poem for South Dakota. It's called Celebrate, We Want to Know, and we're bringing that to you just ahead of Valentine's Day. Here's our poet laureate. Hi, this is Bruce Roseland. I'm your eighth poet laureate of South Dakota. Uh, in my ambassadorship, going across this state, I will have a term of four years. And what I would like to do in that time is, well, spread the value of poetry across this state. I want to hear what other people have to say. I want to encourage the writing of poetry, the uh, speaking of it, the sharing of it. I want folks to talk about South Dakota. I want to have them tell me about what's in the beating heart of our land. I want them to tell me about a day in their life. I wrote this poem, and I think it pretty well sums up what I'd like to see accomplish in four years of my term. It is called Celebrate. We want to know. Sing to me of South Dakota. Tell it, like Carl Sandburg did about Chicago's big shoulders. Tell me about the workers of infinite variety within this state. How goes their day? Tell me the what. Tell me the why. Tell me about a day in your life. Did spring creep up on you one fine morning on cat's feet? as you beheld your first crocus with the snow of winter barely gone? Who had not had a night of the dark soul that broke on through the other side? Did you light your candle on both ends with a flame oh so bright? And now, years later, are you ever more wise? Have you climbed the former Harney's Peak and from that vantage point seen five different states. Standing on the dome, did you hear black elk speak? Were the words whispered? Did they roar? Tell me. Tell me if Sioux Falls is the best little city on a summer Friday evening air. As a young and the restless, arm in arm, Slow dance down the sculpture walk on Phillips Avenue. Tell me about the endless prairie quarter section road cropped and drilled. Tell me of short grass, cattle, small town bars, blue sky, and red tail hawks until you reach the distance hills. Then sing to me of Rapid City's Main Street Square poppin' to the sound of music, mingling with the sunset colors rainbowing from the pulsing water's fountain spray. Sing me all of South Dakota. Sing me your life, for the good of poetry is the celebrating 
the telling of the golden age of we. All that is blessed, all that is struggle, tell me your heart. Sing of yourself. Sing, South Dakota. I want to hear the voices of angels. I want to hear Walt Whitman's barbaric yelps singing through you. There it is, Jackie Hendry, our poet laureate, Bruce Roseland. All hail. Barbaric yops going across the whole state. SDPB.org to donate 800-333-0789. That is our show for today. We hope that it served you. From all of us at South Dakota Public Broadcasting, thank you for listening.